last week, as I preached last week, that um, I'm very thankful for expository preaching. It's hard to preach hard truths, and I uh, preached those uh, to husbands last week. So we made it through the godly husband from Colossians 3.19. Now we're going back to Colossians 3.18 to talk about wives. So uh, I'm thankful for the encouraging words I got after last week's uh, sermon. Um, very, very encouraging. I did notice that when the audio of this sermon uh, last week was put on Facebook that uh, it got four likes. I mean, we broke the internet. It was amazing. Um, what was more interesting is that the first four likes on a sermon for the godly husband were from wives that had <laughs> liked it first. I, I think a husband has liked it since then, and so we're gaining some traction now. Uh, I did get some funny comments from many in the church, a wife saying she was glad her husband was, was here last week and not sure if she's going to be able to make it this week. Um, a husband saying he was going to tr- try to apply last week's sermon, but he wanted to get here early to get a front seat for him and his wife this coming week. Um, it, it wasn't him. It wasn't him. So, but it's, it's hard to preach those, those, those truths to husbands from the passage last week. And it may be even harder for me to preach hard truths to, to wives today. Uh, let, let me commend to you uh, Daniel Bennett's sermons on these topics. I was greatly helped as I prepared for these two sermons. When we planted the church in 2008, the first book that Daniel led us through was the book of Ephesians. And so if you go to our website, just click on archived audio, you can find Ephesians, and uh, you can go back. He did five sermons uh, on the, the godly husband and the godly wife. Um, the first two are entitled The Godly Husband or something to that uh, in that vein. The next three were about the godly wife. So guys, don't put a joke in here, okay? Um, not that the wife needed more. Actually, that, that middle sermon is entitled The Godly Wife, but he actually finished The Godly Husband in the first part of that sermon. So it actually is a two and a half sermons on the husband and two and a half uh, on the wife there. Um, one thing that Daniel said in, in, a, uh, in the midst of preaching about the godly wife, he said this, I, I don't want to preach less than what the Bible says, but I also don't want to preach more than what's in the Bible. And that's definitely my heart today as well. Um, as we looked at the godly husband last week, we looked at three, three things. I'll start with the letter L. We said the godly husband was a lover of his wife. Uh, and this love was a continual choice to love no matter what. It wasn't a conditional thing. It's an unconditional love, not an emotion. It could be said it was to, to keep on choosing to love your wife no matter the circumstances. Um, the second thing we talked about was that a husband is to be a learner of his wife as well. Uh, we looked at, a, um, let's see, it was 1 Peter 3, 7, to live with your wife in an understanding way. And that that means that you're mindful and considerate of her deepest needs to, to know her completely. Um, and I kind of challenged the guys to think about that if you don't have a desire to learn about your wife, that may be something indicative of your relationship with God. Not being teachable to learn about your wife may show a lack of teachability from God. And thirdly, we talked about the, the leader. And I quoted from Alexander Strzok's book, uh, Men and Women Equal Yet Different. He wrote, the husband-wife relationship is not a boss-employee, a commander-soldier, or a teacher-student relationship. It's a love relationship in which two adults become united as one. Within this union, one partner lovingly takes the lead and the other willingly and actively supports that lead. Which I thought was a great example of, of what it means to be a, a godly leader and husband. So my hope in doing that was to kind of set the environment in which uh, a godly wife can easily uh, submit. If we look at Colossians 3.18. I won't 
go through the whole background of the book. I did that, that last week. But one study Bible lists the theme of the book of Colossians is this. Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate with him in his death, resurrection, and fullness. That's the theme of the book of Colossians. And, and here as we get to our passage, we see that, that Paul addresses six different types of people. And I believe he's doing that to show how to live out that fullness of God in those different roles. And so if, you'll, if you're able, would you please join and stand with me as we read uh, Colossians 3.18. I'm going to read through all six of these roles that Paul addresses to chapter 4, verse 1. Starting in, in chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You can be seated, and why don't I pray for us as we begin our, to study our passage today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. I pray you would help our, our minds to engage uh, in the word right now. Help us not to just empty our minds, but maybe to clear our minds of distractions that could keep us from really engaging with you. May our affections and our heart and our thinking be wrapped around you this morning. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like last week, let, let me ask a rhetorical question here about the purpose of marriage. It might sound a bit silly, but it might get your attention a little bit. The, the purpose of marriage, right, is for a wife to get whatever she wants all the time. You agree with that? Okay. I, I was hoping it wouldn't be like, a, yes, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I think uh, Christians and non-Christians alike would say that's not the purpose of marriage. And, and knowing many of the wives in this room, I, I know that they would not say that is the purpose of marriage. But you probably agree with me, though, in saying that we do have this flesh inside of us that does want a marriage or even all of life to revolve around us. Um, to, and in marriage, to, to make marriage all about me. Both the husband and the wife have a flesh that says to make marriage all about me. Or I, I want what I want all the time. Because in our depravity, right, we're by nature, we're, we're rebellious people. That's, that's the nature of who we are. In our depravity, we want autonomy, independence from God, independence from our spouse or from, from others. But that's not the way of the gospel, Right? That's not the way of the gospel. The gospel meaning that we, we understand that it's by grace alone that Christ can forgive our sins if we respond by faith and repentance to the free gift of salvation. And through that free gift of salvation, our, our, we get a transformed heart. Not that we don't still struggle with our flesh, but we are given the Holy Spirit to help us not to pursue those earthly and selfish desires. You might remember from last week, we talked about how leading up to our passage today is, is just a great passage of scripture from, from chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, where it, it talks about what the transformed heart looks like. If you look at verse 5 in, in, in chapter 3, if your finger's still in at Colossians 3, 
the transformed heart says to put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sex and morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Look down to verse 8. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. If you skip down to verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Verse 14, putting on love. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And 17, the summer here, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then we get to this text that says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. So he's giving, Paul is giving wives and husbands here, okay, all that stuff I just read, 1 through 17, here's a way to live that out, wives, and here's a way to live this out, husbands. So this idea of loving your wife and submitting to your husband must be pretty important because he doesn't talk about a whole lot of other stuff here, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, it's fitting the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. These must be pretty important things. But they're hard things. They mean dying to self. And so we approach this text not with the sense of, ah, oh, drudgery. I've got to love my wife or I've got to submit to my husband. We, we approach this text with joy. We approach this text with joy. We're, we're happy. We're most happy when we obey God's truths. And in fact, an online article from DesiringGod.org, John Bloom writes this. It's a little bit long, but stay with me says, when have you been least motivated by selfish ambition and laziness and lust and self-righteousness? When has the fear of man, the general cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches wielded the least influence over you? When have you felt the most capacity to love others and the most concern for perishing unbelievers, the persecuted church, and the destitute poor? In other words, when has your life been most characterized by holiness? I can tell you when. It's when you've been most in love with Jesus. It's when you've been most full of faith in his promises that you live by them. It's when his gospel has been most meaningful and his mission has been most compelling that it dictates your life's priorities. In other words, you have been most holy when you've been most happy in God. Holiness is fundamentally an affection issue, not a behavioral issue. It's not, our beha- it's not that our behaviors don't matter, he writes. They, they matter a lot. It's just that our behaviors are symptomatic. They are the outworking of our affections in the same way that our behaviors are the outworking of our faith. So if our affections are toward God, this submitting, this loving are just obvious outworkings of our faith. So here's the big idea for today. It's the same as last week if you still have that. God's goal in marriage is oneness by serving the other. God's goal in marriage is oneness by serving the other. God has roles in which you will find joy in living out the gospel. God's goal in marriage is oneness by serving the other. God has roles in which you will find joy in living out the gospel. Now, there are many aspects to the godly wife, and um, I can maybe illustrate that as you know, a beautiful flower, and as it unfolds, you see all the depth and the beauty there. Um, so what aspects would I cover in a sermon called The Godly Wife? Right? Well, first I should be true to the text right, and talk about what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. So that is our first point for today, that a godly wife submits. Um, but I was given a resource from, from Bethany Baptist Church in Peoria, uh, some of our counseling resources here, uh, a book by Martha Peace 
called uh, The Excellent Wife and a book by Stuart Scott called The Exemplary Husband. And, and they all seem to hone down on some other aspects of the godly wife that, that maybe have the most confusion or maybe need some extra explanation. And so from those resources, I, I went similar to those. And, and so this will be very easy for uh, the PowerPoint clicking today. You can go ahead and do all three. The, the godly wife uh, submits, she helps, and she respects. She submits, helps, and respects. So don't just fill in those blanks and put down your pen. Stay, stay with me here. I think that God has some things for us to learn um, let me give the same warnings as I did last week. So husbands, um, don't go home this afternoon and say, okay, let's see it. Pony up. Well, let's, let's see the respect coming. Come on, let's, let's, let's see it. Um, husbands, show grace, right? Um, you're not the Holy Spirit. There, somebody has that role already. He's called the Holy Spirit. Uh, his job is to uh, convict your wife of, of any areas of growth. Um, and so allow grace and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Wives, in the same way, allow grace. Uh, we're painting a picture here of a godly wife that I'm going to guess if you are a wife, you fall short of. <laughs> Can we just safely say that? Uh, just as all the husbands fall short as well. And so allow, apply the gospel, allow the gospel uh, to invade your thinking and your heart. For those who are, are single, um, the truths I'm going to share today may be uh, used by you to help a husband and a wife. So, so definitely stay, stay with us. Maybe God's preparing you for marriage, um, but I think God has something for you in our time together here as well. So let's, let's begin with the word that Colossians 3.18 brings us to, and that is the godly wife submits. The godly wife submits. Um, the word submit in, in Colossians uh, 3.18 is used in the same way in Ephesians 5, 22 uh, through 33. So if you don't mind, keep your finger in Colossians and flip over to Ephesians 5. And while you're doing that, I'll just share a little tidbit that I learned from a commentary here that um, if the reader of Colossians was reading this as we are, and it got to wives... And that day when this was written, they would have expected a different word than submits there. You know what word that would have been? Obey. Because in the culture of that day, it was thought that a wife was more like a child in relation to the husband. It was, she should be obedient to him. And so maybe as, as the reader read this and it's originally or was hearing this being read and wise, oh, they're going to say obey. But Paul, he says submits. And by saying submit, Paul is actually esteeming women and lifting them up and esteeming the whole institution of marriage by saying this is not a child-parent uh, relationship. This is altogether different. So Paul uses the same word in Ephesians 5 if you're there. I'll go ahead and read 22 through 33 because we'll be referencing that as well throughout our time together. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ of the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let's define this word submit here. The literal meaning has uh, to place oneself under, to be under one's authority. So at this point, it seems wise to consider what this word does not mean, and then to consider what it means. Because I think this word submit in our culture today, there, there's some baggage to it. And, and there might even be in this whole, whole semantic range of what word, a word can mean. Our culture influences that. So what, what does it mean here? So let, let's talk about what it doesn't mean first. And actually, um, my daughters gave me some help on this and what submission does, does not mean. First, uh, my daughter Addie is 13 and she actually wrote it out for me. She said, uh, and she kind of says it with a smile. It's a little joke here. Um, submit. Wives submit only if your husband meets pre-placed standards placed by said wife. And there's a list. There's, there's three things here. Number one, he isn't super judgy. Okay. Uh, number two, doesn't make too many dad quality jokes. She might be speaking to my sense of humor there. Uh, number three, doesn't wear skinny jeans. So I think I'm doing okay today on, on that. Um, so not a fan of, of skinny jeans on guys, apparently. So my eight-year-old daughter, Sadie, saw Addie writing this out and decided she needed to write something out too. So she got a piece of paper, and here's what she wrote. She wrote this, no PDA. <laughs> so kids, if you don't know what PDA is, you can ask your parents later. Um, but that was her, her input into what submission uh, is not. Uh, but, you know, submission is, is not making the wife a lesser person. I think last week we established that pretty well, that these roles have nothing to do with worth or, or giftedness. First um, Peter 3, 7 talks about how a wife is a fellow heir with the husband, therefore equalizing the husband and the wife. They are fellow heirs together. It doesn't mean that the wife checks out mentally or, or cannot function well or can't have independent thoughts. You know, again, last week, I think we established that the, the wife is the husband's greatest source of, of counsel and wisdom. And, and the warnings that she might give to her husband on decisions that need to be made as, as a family may be God's warning against the family going in a wrong direction. It's, it's not that the husband has absolute authority or, or more authority than Christ or um, a wife cannot influence her husband. Again, she is his greatest advisor there. So what is submission? If that's what submission is not, what is submission? I think first it, it embraces, a wife embraces her husband's leadership as the church does Christ's leadership. Look back at, at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, remember, the context of this, as God designed it, was for it to be a godly husband. And, and we'll talk a little bit in a little bit about what it means if, if the husband is not following the Lord. But the, the context here is that the husband is loving his wife, that he's learning about his wife, that he's leading her well. John Piper says this, submission is a divine calling of the wife to honor, affirm, and nurture her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. And we'll talk here a little bit about, about helps. These areas do overlap. I love that definition, to honor, affirm, and nurture her husband's leadership, how he needs her help with that, to help carry it through according to her gifts. So as, as a husband comes to his wife and says, honey, I, 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 uh, I, I have these thoughts on the direction for our family or, or even as simple as what we're doing this, this weekend. And, and I want to get your input on that. And then he's thought ahead and planned ahead. And, and his wife gives input on that plan. 
See, submission is the wife's command to give. A wife submitting to her husband is, is a gift to that husband. It's not the husband's command to enforce. And too often, I think husbands think that way. So what I'm going to be sharing about submission here is, is no different than what already exists in the Godhead, in the Trinity. Um, Jesus Christ himself submits to the Father. It, it's, it's a part of the eternal quality of the Godhead. John 8, 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, it's John 8, 28 and 29. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So this submission exists even in the Godhead. I think this submission exists uh, in every human institution that I can think of, as well as a way of life for all believers to submit to the Lord and, and to each other. So we have to fight off kind of these presuppositions that we bring to the table, these, these erroneous definitions of submission that maybe our culture uh, has put on it. You know, last week I, I shared about the, the what-ifs that come up when it comes to discussing the husband's roles and the, and the wife's roles. And probably this area of submission is, is, is the area which the what-ifs most come up. And I, I think that's justified. I believe there's been a lot, a lot of do- wrong done in today's churches as it relates to women. There's been painful views taught by men about women. Um, there's been painful treatment of women by men in in the church, and there is no excuse for these things. So it does make this hard to think about. Because there are what if questions. What if the husband claims to be a Christian uh, but is abusive towards, what, towards his wife? So in each of these situa- in that situation, the guilty need to be called to repentance. Um, the innocent needs to be moved to safety and, and proper authorities contacted. In fact, turn, turn to Matthew 18, verse 15. Um, this is where church membership and care is, is all the more so important. Uh, of course, the church should step into these situations and come alongside the offended spouse and, and bring comfort to her. And I think our environment of our churches today need to be open and inviting to, to allow women to come forward and say, I, I've been hurt in this way. And we need to, to listen and care for women in those, those situations. And of course, the church should rebuke the guilty spouse with the goal of restoration. Now, if you're looking at Matthew 18, this, this passage often gets called the, the passage about church discipline. And that word discipline, you know, they kind of bring some of those negative connotations to that as well, can't we? You know, I was disciplined as a child, those types of things. The, the goal of this passage really is, is, is church restoration here. And so for the, for the guilty spouse, for, for a husband, for example, who's, who's abusive, you step in here. And, and verse 15, I really think is... is is, the wife can do this, right? She, she says, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So we tend to like, extract this out of the marriage relationship. I think we need to put it back into the marriage relationship because honestly, you could probably say that most days of my life, I'm under the first step of church discipline. Right? I, I should be open to my wife, my kids, you all coming into my life and saying, Ben, hey, I'm willing to be wrong on this, but I think I see a sin issue that needs to be, needs to be addressed. And, and what is that? That's the first step of, of church discipline, of church restoration here. 
And so if a wife is being treated poorly by her husband, she goes to her husband and, and, and says, I believe you're sinning against me. And if he doesn't listen, look at verse 16. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So she brings people along with her from the church. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Okay, it, it's announced to the church that this husband is struggling and the goal church is to restore him. And then if he doesn't listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This person that said, I am a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm a member of this church. Now treat them as if they are not even a believer at all. That their testimony was wrong. Okay. Now, it's easy to read through these verses and think, okay, you just kind of move through these steps and it's done, right? This is a hard, arduous, painful, months, sometimes years process of trying to restore people. It is one of the hardest things to happen in our church today, but it needs to happen in our church today. So, as we head home today, you can say, honey, how about we start the first step of church discipline? Right? That's the romantic, valentine way of, of uh, starting your afternoon. Um, but let me address this other question. What, what if the husband is not a Christian? Okay? Martha Peace, uh, in the book, The Excellent Wife, um, and I agree with her, um, that there isn't a condition on this. And this, again, this is very hard. And I, I want to be very gentle as I say this. That, and Martha Peace says she should still um, submit. But obviously not if her husband asks her to sin. And she gives examples. If he says, I forbid you to go to church. I forbid you to talk to the children about God. I want you to participate with me in immorality. Or if he says, I forbid you to reprove me. She should not submit to that. And how should she express that, I, that idea that I'm not going to submit to those things in a way that wins her husband over. Not with a look, buddy. Listen up. We look at guidance like 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 4. 1 Peter 3 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. So by conduct, you can influence your husband. But also uh, passages like Ephesians 4 that say to, to speak the truth in love. And we can speak truthfully. Wives can speak truthfully in love to their husbands. But what if this is not a, a sin issue? It's just a poor decision my husband's making, whether a Christian or a non-Christian. Or maybe a husband's just not leading well. I think a, a wife can be tempted to maybe just go passive and just ignore all that in her role. I think sometimes a wife can be tempted to go beyond her role. And okay, if you're not going to lead in this area, then I'm just going to take leadership for you. And the husband kind of slowly backs away and, and, and responds in passivity. I don't think that's, that's the proper response if a husband's not leading well. Maybe it's not a, a sin issue, but he's maybe making a decision that doesn't seem quite like it's best for the family. I think a wife should communicate clearly with her husband what she believes is what she's seeing and, and with grace. and Maybe even think through other ideas to present to her husband a better direction, a potential better direction for the, for the family. Uh, and she considers the best way to bring up the conversation as well. So by, by way of application here, um, Martha Peace, she, she gives some examples of an uns, unsubmissive wife. She, uh, Peace writes that she may be more loyal to others than her husband. And does she argue or give the cold shoulder when she doesn't get her way? Does she manipulate her husband to get her way? Does she make important decisions without consulting her husband? 
I asked my wife, I said, okay, if you were just to define, this is what it means to submit to your husband. What would you say? Like, what does that mean? Like, what do you do today to, to submit? Kind of taking it from the 30,000 feet view to the, to the two foot view. And she said this, she said, honoring and supporting and supporting the direction her husband proposes. Honoring and supporting the direction her husband proposes. I thought that was good. But, you know, the question again, well, what if he gives no direction? What if I'm not getting a direction from my husband? Well, I think a wife can, can humbly and graciously go to her husband and say, honey, I love you. And I desire to be led by you. And I would love to hear your direction for our family in this certain issue. I would love to get your direction on our plans for this next week. And I would love to be led for you like Christ leads the church. Wives, you can ask yourself, does your love for your husband reflect the submission and patience of Christ? Do you honor your husband as the church is meant to honor Christ? What sort of view would people have of your husband if all they had to go on is what they hear from your lips? Again, as the husband needs to seek input and discipleship on how to love, learn, and lead his wife, so the wife should seek input from other wives on submission. Uh, Titus 2 2 through 5 says, Older, well, let me start in verse 3, Titus 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, not only is the godly wife to submit, but she's also to help. Okay? second point is, is she is to help. And I picked each of these words out of the scripture. So Genesis 2.18 says that, Then the Lord God said, this is Genesis 2.18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So what is a, a helper fit or a fitting helper? It's, it's someone who completes and complements the man. The word helper here, helper here speaks of a person who meets the needs of another. This word is used of the Holy Spirit in Philippians 1.9. So again, this builds my case that these words are not demeaning words. They're words used to describe our God. And God himself helps by strengthening the believer in Ephesians 3.16. And there are, there's, there's some ways that a wife can be a helper to her husband. Let me go through some of these ways that a wife can be a helper to her husband. You know, number one, a, a fitting helper for insight and counsel. I think I've uh, talked about this already. The, you know, Proverbs um, thirty-one twenty-six says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Let me just tell you, church, I, I'm a better husband because of my wife helping me. I'm a better father because of my wife helping me. I'm a better pastor because of my wife helping me. I can come to her with issues that I'm wrestling with. And, and, and she's one of those internal processors. You know, you, you share something with her and, and you can just see her mind start to go and the Holy Spirit start working. And, you know, kind of if you're an Apple user, that beach ball starts turning around. Or if you're a PC person, that little, you know, status line keeps going. And man, I know by the time that status line gets to the end, there's something good coming. I'm a better man because of, because of my wife. In the counsel that she gives me. Another way a wife helps her husband is to be a fitting helper in the home. Um, when Pastor Daniel preached on Ephesians 5, I mentioned this last week, that, that he preached that, that everything in the home is the responsibility of the husband as a leader of the home. And that, that sermon was given in July, so the AC was cranking that day. But the amount of heat put off from the sweat of the guys sitting in these rows, that the AC was double time. You know, because they just, oh, everything in the home is my responsibility, Okay. 
Well, wives need to help their husbands with that. We need a wife's help in those, those areas. We look at Proverbs thirty-one fifteen. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her husband and portions for her maidens. In verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of, of idleness. As I read in, in Titus 2, 5, you know, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to her husbands, that the word of God might, may not be reviled. Finding fulfillment in her role in the home does not mean that she can't work outside the home. Don't hear what I'm not saying. In fact, I think Proverbs 31 even talks about work outside of the home. But I think it's safe to say that scripture seems to put an emphasis on the wife helping at home. And if if a woman cannot find fulfillment in working in the home, it's strange to think that she would find it outside of the home. Wives can help in making the home a place of encouragement, of comfort and understanding. Uh, helping the home be a place that has order, not, not a museum where nothing can be touched, but, but makes the house a home. And a husband is greatly helped by this. You know, left to myself, I'd probably still have my college posters of Michael Jordan up on my walls. Um, but thankfully, my wife has that nurturing sense that brings about a nurturing environment. To, to, to kind of speak to that difference between men and women and the nurture that is often present in women, um, when our church sent a team out to Preston, Idaho, to go to Grace Fellowship Church to help in the ministry of our sent missionaries, uh, Jeff and Brenda Thames, uh, we met a dear man named Glenn. Uh, just a dear, dear man. Our team just fell in love with Glenn, and, and uh, I'm friends with him on Facebook. And I asked his permission to share this post that he put on Facebook. He said, he, he took, I took the kids to see The Greatest Showman last night, a, a movie musical that's out right now. Uh, and Daisy, my daughter, age nine, said, What a wonderful story, Daddy. The ending was heartwarming. Richie, boy, age seven, Daddy, we should get a butler and an elephant, and the butler could ride the elephant around Preston. <laughs> a much different response from Daisy than, than Richie. Women have this nurturing spirit that leaves an imprint on the home. Number three, another way a, a fitting helper uh, can help her husband is by being dependable and trustworthy. Proverbs 31, 11, and 12, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She's a fitting helper in, in, with her husband in rearing the children. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-eight: her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her. In this vein, Wayne Mack encourages the wife to, quote, build loyalty to the husband in the children. The wife's attitudes toward the husband are quickly picked up by the children. A lack of respect or confidence in his leadership should be discussed outside the earshot of the children. So she's a helper in rearing the children. She's also a helper in encouraging her husband to lead. As the wife glorifies the husband as a leader, she glorifies the Lord. And there are times where Casey has told me, Ben, you just need to lead right now. It was a good, a good encouragement. She said to me, you just need to make a decision here. You need to lead And she encourages my leadership by bringing issues of our family to me and wanting me to lead in those areas. So wives, if you consider being a helper in insight and counsel in the home, being trustworthy for your husband, rearing the children with him, uh, encouraging your husband to lead, are you being passive in being a helper in those areas? Or are you being too aggressive in those areas and usurping 
your husband's leadership. So lastly, lastly, the godly wife respects. The godly life, wife respects. Uh, we get that from Ephesians 5.33, which I already read. That, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that he, she respects her husband. So the word respect here means to highly regard, to notice, to honor, to prefer, to esteem, to praise, and to admire exceedingly. She should respect him positionally. God has placed the husband in a position of leadership, 1 Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. But then that what if question, what if he doesn't deserve it? What if he doesn't deserve respect? And this is hard. And here again, I call upon the husbands of the church to love your wife, to learn about your wife, and to lead her as Christ does the church. But what if he doesn't deserve respect? A wife has a significant opportunity to show love and respect to her husband to win him over to repentance. Going back to 1 Peter 1 and 2, I read already, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm not saying she stays quiet. She should reprove her husband. We take passages like Galatians 6 and we think, okay, that's kind of separate from marriage. But it's not. We need to infuse it into marriage. Brothers, as anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. A wife can be used to restore her husband in a spirit of gentleness. Keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There is a respectful way for a wife to approach her husband. Matthew 5, 7 says, blessed are the merciful. She can be merciful for they shall receive mercy. To say, honey, I, I, I want to come to you and, and, and just share with you something. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong on this, but I, I see an area of your life that I, I don't think is in step with what God would want. And I want to love you enough to tell you about it. And the husband should receive that. If he doesn't, he needs to be approached by the churches. I've, I've, I've made a case for already. From Matthew 18. The church, of course, steps in. Last week I referenced a, a podcast where um, the speaker said that the commands to, to husbands and to wives, you, you don't see a lot of conditions in here. You know, husbands love your wives if they are kind towards you, or, or wives submit to your husbands if they are a good, good husband. What I didn't mention last week, that, that, that was a woman speaking. In fact, it was a, a panel of five women speaking at a gospel coalition women's conference. You know, um, Casey and I have been in full-time ministry for about 19 and a half years now. And uh, ministry can be, can be taxing, uh, I'll, I'll tell you that, uh, but it is a joy to be a part of. We used to be in campus ministry, and there, there were days where I would be leaving the, the house at like 9 or 9.30 p.m. to start a meeting on campus. I can't even imagine that now, uh, the energy to do that. But I used to have that energy to go to campus starting at 9 to start meetings uh, for the evening. And I tell you, whenever I left the house, you know, we had one time we had a newborn and a 17-month-old, and I'm leaving the house at 9 p.m., all right? Can you imagine this scenario? I will tell you, that I left with the uttermost respect for my wife. She encouraged me as I left the home, and she encouraged me to go out and do, do that, that ministry. And even now, as a pastor, you know, there, there are times um, where you do get that phone call late at night, and someone's in the ER, 
And it is our joy, and I say our meaning casing, it is our joy for me to leave the house and go do that. And I do have the uttermost respect, and I, I believe I have that respect from Casey as I go out and do those things. I've had uh, people who I've met with for counsel, and they say, hey, thanks for just taking the time. I know you're taking time away from family to do this. And I say, well, first of all, I'm paid to do this. So it's kind of my job. Uh, but, but also, Casey's with me as I'm here with you, and she is fully behind uh, me being here and praying for us even as I'm, I'm here. Uh, I have relished in this opportunity to, to esteem her publicly, and I, I love my wife, and uh, she has been a, a blessing uh, to me. I, I know of a man who did love ministry, and his wife didn't respect that call. And uh, he pressed on without that respect, and he didn't listen to his wife as well. And I'll tell you, it did not end well. It did not end well. Uh, er, earlier, I referenced the movie The, the Greatest Showman. And um, I'm going to give an illustration from this movie. Now, um, this, this movie is not from a Christian worldview, and every illustration breaks down at some point, right? Uh, but one thing you do see in this movie is a real respect of Charity Barnum, this character, to P.T. Barnum. Now, if you do a historical uh, overview of P.T. Barnum, nothing like the movie. I don't know. It's not historical at all. Uh, this man had some issues. Um, but in the movie, the caricature of him, um, Charity sings this song to her husband. She says, however big, however small, let me be a part of it all. Share your dreams with me. You may be right, you may be wrong, but say that you'll bring me along to the world you see, to the world I close my eyes to see. Now again, every illustration breaks down because I think she respected him for lying about some collateral he had to a bank. Um, But you get the picture here. You know, I want to be with you. I want to go with you and the respect that she esteemed him with. All ministry is hard. So wives, as your husband does ministry and he leaves the house, do you esteem him? Do you respect him? Would you be willing to go with him in that ministry joyfully? Um, Other ideas of, of how to respect your husband. Do you speak of your husband in private as you would publicly? Or is there some type of switch that goes off there and you don't speak to him as highly in private as you do in public? Do you speak to him like he's another child in your home? Um, last week, I kind of got on the husbands a little bit, maybe, uh, maybe a little bit of a two-by-four to the head. So, this, this is, uh, so with wives, it's not a two-by-four at all here. The, the husbands, I said, um, the, the joke we say is, I've got to go talk to the boss. I gotta make, you know, you want to make plans with my family? Well, the boss has the calendar, right? And we make that joke and... Um, I don't know if that's really reflective. It's obviously not reflective of the scripture, right? I don't think it's necessarily reflective of the husband saying he doesn't love his wife. Okay, don't, I'm not going to be too strong with this. But, um, but wives, I think at times, uh, I've heard say, um, um, like for example, if, if my wife said this, which uh, she doesn't thankfully, but you know, I, I've got five kids in the home, you know, the, the four children, then my husband, right? And, and we, we can say that, um, and, but there's a little bit of truth in every sarcastic comment we make, right? And so do we say that, that he's just one, he's like one of my kids, you know, is that the respect that, that Paul is calling us to and God is calling us to do in Ephesians 5 here? Would you describe your countenance and treatment of your husband as one of respect? Um, in his faults, do you point him to a loving savior with respect? So not say, hey, listen, doggone it, would you knock it off? Versus, honey, I see you're struggling and I love you. I want you to remember the gospel right now and that forgiveness is waiting for you and I want to forgive you as well. 
That's the respect I believe God is calling wives to. So let me finish as we started here. You know, our, our condition is to think the world revolves around us, isn't it? We still struggle with our flesh. The, the gospel and the word give us what we need to live out marriage in a way that pleases God and gives us the most joy. Um, as I was preparing for the sermon, my wife sent me a screenshot uh, of a Desiring God article, a different one, and it said this. It says, uh, this is the way God meant it to be before there was sin in the world. Okay, you ready for this? This is the way God meant it to be before sin was in the world. Sinless man, full of love, and his tender, strong, moral leadership in relation to woman. And sinless woman, full of love, and her joyful, responsive support for man's leadership. No belittling from the man. No groveling from the woman. Two intelligent, humble, God-entranced beings living out in beautiful harmony their unique and different responsibilities. Let me pray for us that we would live toward that end. God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you have given us the framework to live out what is godly marriage for your glory and for our good. And may we find great joy in loving husbands, loving their wives, and wives submitting to their husbands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.